Welcome to the New York State Bar Association's Miranda Warnings, where we debate, discuss, and dive into law-related issues important to all of us. I'm Dave Miranda, past president of the New York State Bar Association and partner at the intellectual property law firm of Heslin, Rothenberg, Farley, and Messina. We're here today on Miranda Warnings with Vin Bonventry, the Justice Robert H. Jackson, Distinguished Professor of Law at Albany Law School. Welcome, Finn. Great to be here. Always great to be here. It's great to have you. You're also the author of the New York Courtwatcher.com. I love that thing. I love that blog. Boy, you reach so many people. You know, you write a law review article, five people read it. You know, you do a blog and, uh, you know, you get hundreds, if not thousands. It's terrific. Yeah. Well, I recommend it to everyone who's interested in, in uh, New York State courts and the Supreme Court. You know, uh, we're trying to combat fake news here on Miranda Warnings. And so we want to make sure that everything that is on Miranda Warnings is truthful and honest. So we're going to have to swear you in. So All right. You, you so can raise your right do hand. I, do I have to admit that my wife writes my blog? You have to <laughs> swear that nothing that you say here today is fake. Well, if it's pure opinion, right, it doesn't matter whether it's totally ridiculous, <laughs> it's all, right? It's all true. So on your... Uh, on your recent blog, uh, you talk about the uh, voting records of uh, the newest justices, and you, you do like an empirical analysis. Right. And in your empirical analysis, you find with statistics that uh, Neil Gorsuch is the worst Supreme Court justice ever. Well, I don't know. How'd if you I come up with that? I don't know if I said that. Did I miss it? Did I, I admit, did I read it wrong? <laughs> I try to make it pretty clear that if I'm talking about conservative versus liberal, I'm not talking about good or bad, wise or foolish. I mean, I'm a liberal, but, um, you know, I mean, uh, the conservatives, especially the ones that are smart, they have an awful lot to offer, you know. Whether or not Gorsuch has a lot to offer is an entirely uh, different story. I know you like to rank judges. Who was the worst Supreme Court justice ever? Oh, ever? Ever. Oh, probably McReynolds. Probably McReynolds. Uh, McReynolds. Also James. one of the worst Mets outfielders. <laughs> <laughs> James McReynolds. James McReynolds, when he was on the court, uh, and then Brandeis was appointed by Woodrow Wilson, the justices never dined together because McReynolds refused to eat with a Jew. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that just wonderful? And then the the, the wonderful thing uh, about that is that, uh, you know, he had a butler. He had a black butler. And when McReynolds died, absolutely nobody from the court went to his funeral. When the butler died, the entire court showed up. <laughs> so I think they felt the same way I do. So what's your analysis of uh, Gorsuch since he's been on the bench? Sure. You know, what I do is I look at those hot button questions, you know, as opposed to the questions that you really don't care about. You know, you just want to figure something out, what makes sense, right. you know. Like but maritime then, law. So, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oftentimes that's very highly charged. But, you know, things like gun rights, uh, gay rights, separation of church and state, race, abortion rights, immigration, the death penalty, gerrymandering, you know, those kinds of things which get our political blood boiling. So I look at those kinds of things. And uh, when I look at those kinds of things among uh, the Trump appointees, his first appointee, Neil Gorsuch, is way, way, way over to the right, which is uh, 
exactly what was predicted before he got onto the court because there were many, there were law professors and there were political scientists who had looked at his voting record as a certain, as a uh, circuit court judge. And they said he, he was very, very conservative. And I'm talking about politically conservative. I'm not talking judicially conservative. I'm not talking about somebody that honors stare decisis mm -hmm. or somebody that defers to the other branches or to the states. I'm not talking about that at all, somebody that just sticks to the text. I'm not talking that. I'm talking if you say to yourself, how would a conservative Republican politician vote on this issue. That's the way Gorsuch he has been And voting. he's been that's, taking the most the conservative politically that, that's position. That's right, politically. And, and, in, and in your analysis, you've said he's even staked out positions that are more conservative than the conservative majority has taken on the oh, court. Oh, yes. Right? Uh, I mean, he's, that's, that's right. I mean, he and Thomas are by far the most politically conservative on the court. He, he's much more politically conservative. He has been thus far much more politically conservative than uh, Brett Kavanaugh, uh, Trump's second appointee. That was also kind of predicted. That was predicted. Um, the uh, political scientists and law professors who had looked at uh, each of their uh, records on the circuit courts, uh, they found Gorsuch's voting patterns to be far, far, far over to the right wing of all the, fe the entire federal judiciary. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh, they found him to be pretty conservative, but, but not anywhere near the extreme that Gorsuch was. And, and that's the way they've both behaved on the Supreme Court thus far. Right. And, you know, Kavanaugh, you know, some may say was planning for to, to be the person that Trump would uh, nominate to the Supreme Court. He's, you know, amongst the things he's done, he's has has uh, talked about a real robust view of executive power. And he wrote decisions when he was on the circuit court um, that I think were intended to get the president's attention as to his view. You really think judges do that? People do I don't that? think judges. On I don't call. think that judges he do He was it. a judge. I don't think that judges. So, but there's uh, one that wrote... Uh, a, a decision that was seemed to be right in the wheelhouse of a president that wanted to exert broad executive powers. Well, I think uh, Neil Gorsuch was pretty clear in his hero worship of Scalia, and uh, that certainly was appealing to the Federalist Society and the Heritage Foundation, sure. who, of course, told Trump who he should put on the court. Um, but oftentimes they do that. And to be fair, I think Sonia Sotomayor did basically the same thing uh, when she was on the Second Circuit. I mean, if you looked at her record, her, her record looked ideal for what Obama would like and what I, Obama's people There's nothing like. wrong so, with being ideal. <laughs> no, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with being ideal. And so but, Gorsuch was thought to be a conservative, but it turns out he's, he's, he's voting and his decisions have been even more conservative than Scalia. Oh, yes. And, uh, you know, that's very interesting that you say that because... I uh, that from your blog. <laughs> 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 oh, I thought it was brilliant that you said that. Uh, he is, uh, he's a true believer, Gorsuch. You know, with, uh, with Scalia, you know, and I had the opportunity to meet with Scalia a few times, you know, and uh, with Scalia, you could argue with him and he would joke with you. 
And you got the impression with Scalia, there were certain things he believed, but uh, it's not like Gorsuch. I mean, Gorsuch has this certainty about him, like the mind is closed. I mean, there's nothing facile about his mind. And uh, this originalism stuff, oh, Lord, he goes on about it like it's, you know, one of the commandments. It's, uh, and, you know, at least... You know, with regard to his hero, Scalia, Scalia understood there were problems with originalism. He understood that it was very difficult to find uh, original meaning. And there there are several different meanings for what original meaning might mean, (laughs) if I said meaning enough. Um, But the other thing he said was sometimes with regard to original meaning, you wouldn't necessarily want that result. Because, you know, over the years, you know, there may have been developments in the law and you really don't want. So, for example, he said, you know, like lashing, right. you know, lashing, you know, uh, in he the said past. He said you might have to think about that. Yeah, like, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. You know, um, but Gorsuch just speaks about originalism like it's his religion. You and know? So he's still he's in favor of lashing. Apparently. Oh. <laughs> well, uh, it hasn't come you up. Know, it, it has n- it has not come up, but we know the way he has treated things such as uh, gay rights, that uh, he certainly is a disciple for the view that, you know, equal protection was intended uh, to protect or to give citizenship rights to the newly freed black slaves. And that is it. Since the Constitution doesn't say gay rights, there shouldn't be equality um, for he's, gay rights. He's, but he, he seems to take some twists and turns to get to where he needs to be. And, I, and you mentioned the, in your blog the Masterpiece uh, Cake Shop oh, case, Lord. right, where oh, you Lord. had the majority, which uh, gave a ruling, and then he took it another step further. Uh, that uh, with respect to that. So talk about a little bit about that, about how he really took that to the extreme. He does that quite frequently. You know, he's written more opinions between majority, concurring, and dissent than anybody else uh, this past year. So in the Masterpiece Cake Shop case, of course, that was the case in which uh, the baker refused on religious grounds to create uh, a cake celebrating... Uh, same-sex marriage, same-sex marriage. And uh, the court, the majority of the court, uh, ruled in favor of the baker, but on the very, very narrow ground that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission was very, very hostile to the baker and never gave the baker a fair opportunity to explain himself. They accused the baker of being basically a Nazi, and it's because of people like you that we had the Holocaust. And that was a little too much for the court to take. So they ruled for the baker in that case. But they made it clear, we are not saying that businesses may discriminate against same-sex couples. And then Gorsuch said, let me be clear. Yeah, Gorsuch says, well, I agree that the baker should win, but I agree that the baker should win because the baker didn't discriminate. And then he makes this preposterous argument that the baker wouldn't bake a same-sex cake even for an opposite-sex couple. So he wasn't discriminating against anybody. I mean, you know, that's like, you know, the old interracial marriage cases when they say, there's no discrimination here because everybody 
has to marry marry within their own race. I mean, that's the kind of so it's all this all equal and right. ridiculous. Yeah. And but you know, with regard to gay rights, okay, you say that's a pretty strong piece of evidence, but the previous case I think might have been worse, and that was a case in which Arkansas, the good people of Arkansas, decided that if you were a same-sex married couple, you didn't get to put your name on your child's birth certificate. Opposite sex couples could, but not a same sex couple. Unless one of them was the biological mother, they could, but you didn't get to put your name on it. And the United States Supreme Court, just summarily, they reversed it and said, look, we said in Obergefell, right? Uh, same sex couples are entitled to equality. Gorsuch has the gall to write a dissenting opinion and say, in Obergefell, we held that same sex couples had the right to be married. We didn't hold that they were entitled to marital benefits. What does that even mean? They're entitled to get the piece of paper? I mean, so, you know, you put those two together and, okay, come on, you're talking about a homophobe. You're either talking about a homophobe or somebody for whatever intellectual, religious reason just does not think that gays or lesbians should have equal rights. But that's where he's going. It doesn't have anything to do with judicial restraint. Now, Kavanaugh, though, has been a little bit harder to pin yes. down. He's been closer to the middle, yes. uh, closer, uh, very close to Roberts, to Chief Judge Justice Roberts, who's right in the middle of the court right now. I mean, even more so than uh, Justice uh, Anthony Kennedy was. I think last year, when you look at the hot button cases, he he's almost fifty fifty. So he's 50 with the liberal, he's 50 with the, right. uh, he is with the conservatives. With the oh, yes. Side to, to make a, a majority. And you, if you look at the numbers, he's been the deciding vote. Yes, uh, and he's, on, he certainly uh, has. In many cases. And, it, and also, in many of the cases where Roberts took the liberal position, Kavanaugh was there with him. One of the cases that I think really showed right off the bat, that Kavanaugh was not going to be one of these strict, absolute, blind uh, political conservatives was the Flowers versus Mississippi case. And that was, that was the case where uh, the prosecutors in Mississippi, they tried this guy. They were on their sixth trial prosecuting him because each time the Mississippi Supreme Court would throw out the conviction for different reasons. Uh, got to the sixth trial, and the prosecutors convicted him again. Well, the jury convicted him again. And uh, this time, the Mississippi Supreme Court upheld the conviction. It gets to the United States Supreme Court, and the defense counsel says, look, this same prosecutor kept eliminating all the black jurors. And what happened at the Supreme Court? Kavanaugh writes the opinion for the majority of the court, throwing out the conviction and saying, you know, he goes through it. You know, he applies Batson versus Kentucky that, you know, uh, removing jurors on the basis of race, you know, is unconstitutional. And he goes through all the facts. He goes through all the facts of the case where the prosecutors would ask very different questions of black jurors than they would ask uh, the white jurors. I mean, potential jurors is what I'm talking about. Or even if the white jurors were answered the exact same way, the prosecutor wouldn't pursue it any further. But if a black potential juror 
answered a question a certain way. He'd grill them and grill them and grill them. And then, of course, he was removing the black jurors for reasons which he didn't use against the white jurors. So Kavanaugh spells all this out and says, this is pure racial discrimination. Uh, Gorsuch joins Thomas's dissent saying, well, there shouldn't be any Batson versus Kentucky, and if there's going to be peremptory challenges, they should be able to remove anybody. And not only that, we should just trust the Mississippi Supreme Court. Yeah, so I think that showed us a lot about the difference between Kavanaugh and Gorsuch right off the bat. And they have come up with, you know, been on opposite sides, uh, the two of them. So they're certainly not lockstep. The death penalty cases, there were several death penalty cases. Very, very interesting. There were quite a few death penalty cases at the court. And Kavanaugh, by and large, would be with Roberts in many of these cases, vacating or staying the death penalty. And Gorsuch was always on the other side. Every one of them, he was on the other side. Now, there's a line of thinking that perhaps Kavanaugh is just biding his time here to be a little bit more moderate because he knows he's under the microscope because of the very contentious uh, uh, confirmation hearings and that he's deliberately trying not to go out of his way to inflame anything, because more so, certainly, than Gorsuch, um, he's under the microscope. Mm. Uh, That's possible. Um, However, when you look at, again, when you look at his record as a circuit court judge, he wasn't nearly as politically conservative as Gorsuch. So um, I I don't want to create a uh, misperception that Kavanaugh's liberal. No, he's, he's not a liberal justice, but he's certainly not uh, the extreme conservative justice that uh, Gorsuch is. And l- let's talk about some of the cases that are coming up here. One of the, one of the big cases that we just had in the last term was the ger- gerrymandering yes. case. Um, and, uh, you know, in that case, they, the court held that you could um, actually make decisions for, if you made a decision for political purposes, that that wasn't necessarily unconstitutional. Well, right? I mean, yes. I mean, more technically, of course, you know, the, the court said that uh, the judiciary should stay out of those, those questions. I mean, Roberts, uh, uh, what he oftentimes does is, you know, he will decry, even condemn certain things like he's done with Trump a few times. Um, But then he says, you know, it's not the place of the judiciary to interfere. And in that case, he said, first of all, the Constitution is explicit that it leaves redistricting uh, within the um, discretion of the state legislature. And he said, number two, we shouldn't be deciding cases where we just don't have a standard. I mean, what's the standard that we're going to be applying? So that's that's pretty standard standard. Well, didn't, didn't I think it was Ginsburg that said, well, the standard is one person, one vote. Yeah. Right. And and by these ger- gerrymandering, you're yeah. basically taking the 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 franchise away from you know certain right. voters, minorities. That's uh, right. Especially. That's right. But even with regard to one person, one vote, the Supreme Court has never, even in Baker versus Carr, Reynolds v. Sims, never said exactly one person, one vote. So I mean, how much? Yeah. So how much? You know, how much of a. Uh, differentiation between districts is going to be allowed, you know, and what kinds of things do you take into account? So Robert said clearly, you know, with regard to race, you know, that's not allowed because you do have a 
an explicit constitutional prohibition against, uh, against discrimination. But with regard to partisan gerrymandering, what are we going to do? How are we going to determine whether something goes too far, especially again when it's supposed gerrymandering, um, gerrymandering redistricting is supposed right. to be left up to the state legislature. I'll tell you a, a really fascinating footnote, especially for those of us who, who really like the good state courts. The uh, North Carolina Intermediate Court threw out that same gerrymandering that the United States Supreme Court wouldn't throw out. They threw it out under their own state constitutional law. They said it was a violation of equal protection, said it was a violation of voting rights. So they, they chucked it out. And since they did it under state law, they did it under state law, you, you can't appeal that to the United States Supreme Court. Right. And the U.S. Supreme Court has said that in, in, the, in the prior case that they should, should in fact, stay out of yeah, it. Yeah, is that interesting? Right. That's right, yeah. yeah. So another interesting thing that came out during that argument was a reference to the Electoral College. Now, obviously, there's no Electoral College case up before the Supreme Court. But what's the thought on the Electoral College where the, in a state, winner takes all, you get all the delegates, how that uh, potentially could butt up against the one person, one vote. So someone wins 55-45, but the 45% get nothing. Um, and so there's some movement that, first to, to get rid of the Electoral College, but then there's an argument, I think, by, by some people that the Electoral College should be considered unconstitutionally violative of the one person, one vote standard. Well, I mean, it, it is contrary to a uh, one-person-one-vote standard, but the fact of the matter is that the Electoral College is part of the, it's right, <laughs> right there in the Constitution. Right. So they want to get rid yeah, of the Yeah, but it doesn't say that it, it has to be winner-take-all. Uh, no, right? it, it just speaks about the electors, that right. the states you you can know, have electors. Have electors but, but and then, so if New York has 20 electors, why couldn't it be, you know, 14 to 6? depending on how the vote goes, instead of uh, winner take all. I don't think that there's anything in the Constitution that requires all the electors in New York to go for whoever gets a majority of the New York But vote. I guess I the, the, the argument like is by, by having it required that all go, is that, un, is that a violative? I don't know. I don't think there's anything in the Constitution that spells out exactly how the states should be dividing up their, their electors. So... But yeah, look, somebody was going to come up with a good argument one way, and somebody's going to come up with a good argument the other way. That's why these cases get there, right? Isn't that the interesting thing? When you look at, I'll tell you what's, what I find fascinating, if not totally uh, disconcerting, is you get these cases, they get to the Supreme Court. Why do they get there? Because they're tough. These are tough cases, right? There are decisions here, decisions there, the decisions all over the place. The United States Supreme Court has to settle it. And the reason they have to settle it, because it is not clear, regardless what somebody like Gorsuch would say, oh, yeah, he's certain it's this way or the other, you know. Or Ginsburg the same way, God bless her. But, you know, she's the same way. Uh, they get there. They're tough cases. They're close cases. There are such strong arguments both ways. And how do they divide? Republicans versus Democrats. Give me a break. You mean five four five four five four five four, and now we see, you know, Roberts joins the Democrats every once in a while. I mean, come on, what are the odds that if you're a Democrat, 
you really don't see any merit in the other side that happens to be taken by the Republicans and vice versa. So, you know, I mean, what's going on? It's so tribal. It's so incredibly tribal. You know, what can so, we look for in the upcoming term, the fall term for the Supreme Court? What can we look for as some really good arguments and cases that we need to keep an eye on? Well, you're, you're going to get uh, the abortion case back up again, the abortion case, I think, from Louisiana, the abortion case where uh, the court on what they call a shadow docket, you know, granted a stay. So they stopped the Louisiana um, law from going into effect. That was the law where they made it virtually impossible to, to find an abortion provider. You know, so you had to be a physician with certain training and you had to uh, have privileges at a nearby hospital. And so it turns out, you know, there may be two, there may be three physicians in the entire state or something like that. And the United States Supreme Court, they stayed the law with Robert's vote tipping the scale. Right. With Robert's vote tipping the scale. So ultimately, you're going to get that. the law pending that's right, their pen, determination. That's right. Pending determination whether or not this is going to impose an undue burden. So whatever the lower courts find, whether it's an undue burden or not, that'll come back up to the United States and Just Supreme because Court. they stayed the law doesn't necessarily indicate which way they're going to vote when they have a chance to look at it, right? No, right. not at all. We're going to continue to get death penalty cases. We had a... Um, which I find a particularly troubling case at the United States uh, Supreme Court. And uh, the Bucklew case, I think it might have been, was the name of it. But in any event, uh, there was a, uh, it's a Missouri case. There's a lethal injection protocol. The particular death row inmate had a medical condition confirmed. Um, and because of certain allergic reactions to the particular chemicals that were being used, uh, extremely high risk that he'd be in excruciating pain. And speaking through Gorsuch, the majority says, well, the protocol itself is not cruel and unusual. And so uh, that's the categorical result, and it's too bad, you know. So what was excruciating that? It, it was only you. it was only cruel, not yeah, unusual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've used it before, so it's not uh, unusual. Yeah, and of course, then th then Thomas sticks to his guns with he, which he and Scalia believe, which is that unless it's crucifixion, burning at the stake, drawing and quartering, disemboweling, uh, cruel and unusual doesn't doesn't prohibit it. So we will continue to get those kinds of cases. The citizenship case, ultimately, we're going to get another citizenship case, right? Because another bigoted administration is going to try to, you know, insert the citizenship. You know, there's a history of bigotry with the citizenship, you know, inserting that. You know, they did it when there were too many Italians coming over. They decided, oh, let's put the citizenship question, you know, because uh, the Italians probably don't want to fill this thing out and admit, admit that they're not citizens. So, I mean, it's got a pedigree, this whole citizenship issue, and it always arises so when we don't like What's the issue that's going to be before the court on the citizenship well, issue Well, the now. United States Supreme Court, speaking through Roberts, uh, in the uh, Department of Commerce versus New York case, said that having a citizenship question is not in and of itself unconstitutional. The reason why uh, Roberts and the majority of the court ruled against the citizenship issue is because the Trump administration was lying. They said, okay, you know, what's your rational basis for having the citizenship question? Oh, we want to protect voting rights. And so, I mean, in about 16 different ways, the chief justice in a very professional manner called them liars and said, 
Um, that's not the reason why you have it here. It's completely contrary to all the evidence as to why you actually have it here. So go back and come up with another reason. Of course, if they come up with another reason, we know that's a, a pretext reason because we know what the real reason is. Right. Yeah. So and of course, but of course, Trump's going to blow up by tweeting out the real reason. Oh so, yeah. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, it's never going to work. Those poor attorneys that have to argue those cases, right? And of course, for the future is what's going to happen. You know, how long is Ginsburg going to last? How long is Breyer going to want to stay you tell on us the here? court? I, that would be God that bless would be her. Hope she lives. For, hope she lives forever. You know. Um, but, uh, you know, God she's doing for, great, right? And she's doing great. She's she, apparently yeah. doing great. She insists she's doing great. Um, but you know, if something does happen and she has to leave the court and then we'll probably get another Trump, if he gets reelected, then we'll get another Trump appointee, somebody like Kavanaugh or somebody like Well, that's Gorsuch. a long way off though, right? That's a long way off. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. What else do we have? I, there's a couple of cases that are, that are interesting that I think are coming up. Uh, there's the, uh, Comcast versus the National Association of African American Media talking about, uh, racial discrimination under section 1981, 42 USC 1981, whether, uh, the discrimination requires the, the, uh, the but for causation standard or, uh, uh, or just race as a motivating factor that seems to be a to be would be a pretty significant case that, that's right they they decided a case fairly recently about age discrimination i believe it was or disability discrimination and they said it and the, the majority of the court said it had to be a but for it had to be a but for in other words had to be the only reason you were doing it so this whether or not race is the only reason this is being done you know that's gonna that's gonna put the test. That really is gonna put the test to some of these uh, some of these. Right, because justices. like you said with the with the immigration issue, I mean, if you could come up with some other reason, yeah. right, then you're out you're out of the out of the box. Well, the thing that cooked their goose with regard to the uh, the citizenship question on immigration was that there was a there was either a paper trail or a a tape trail or an email trail or something that showed that the real reason right. was that, oh, man, this is going to help I the Republicans. probably a yeah. press conference. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> I don't think we're going to have that at every gonna be, And i tell you, technological searches, technological searches, that's another one. We're going to see more and more of those because, you know, Gorsuch, like Scalia, believes that the Fourth Amendment does not prohibit unreasonable searches. It only prohibits trespass upon someone's owned property or their particular person for the purpose of a criminal investigation. So if it's not a house, like it's your backyard, that's too bad. You know, and if it's not trespassing, like for instance, with a drone, right, that's too bad. That's what Scalia believed, that's what Gorsuch believes. We'll All of that what, is allowed. We'll, that's right. Well, everything else is allowed. You don't need a warrant. You don't need probable cause as long as there's no trespass and as long as there's no trespass on your property. So when Chief Justice Roberts uh, wrote for the court with regard to cell phone location data, uh, the complaint on the other side was, well, wait a minute. The location data does not belong to the, uh, the cell phone user. So he shouldn't be able to complain under the Fourth Amendment. 
And Chief Justice Roberts just had to slice and dice previous uh, opinions of the court where you had Scalia and some others insisting that the Fourth Amendment really was only about those particular items mentioned in the Fourth Amendment and only if there was a trespass. You know, so you're going to get more of those. I mean, most as as actually as Alito insisted in one of the cases where he went head to head against uh, Scalia, most searches nowadays with technology do not require any trespass. Electronic, right. And, they, and they're yeah. not trespasses on anybody's property. Right. So, you know, that's a tough area of the law. Well, there was the case several years back where they held that you weren't able to put a GPS device on someone, like someone's, someone's bumper Absolutely. to try That's to track That's where Scalia them. and Alito went head to head because Scalia said it was a violation of the Fourth Amendment because they the police trespassed on the defendant's car, meaning without his consent, and, uh, and his car is an effect. It's personal property. Right. And Alito said that's not why at all. Right. It's because of the legitimate expectation of privacy. Don't you remember the Katz case? Legit, it's not about the items in the Fourth Amendment. And Scalia supported his argument by using cases that everybody thought were overruled by Katz. So, and Gorsuch is in that camp. Gorsuch, and so is Thomas. And it so would seem to me that certainly cell phone usage and where you are with it is could could hardly be more personal. Anything more personal. Than that's that. right. That's right. And that's exactly, of course, what. Uh, but then you chief get to the reasonable expectation of privacy, and what is it? Is it reasonable to expect that this information that's that you've put on your cell phone is going to remain private. Well, you know, that that's really the dilemma of that whole test, legitimate expectation of privacy. And of course, it was John Marshall Harlan II that came up with that test. And he realized that the test was problematic because the more government intrusion there is, right, then and the he less... Was, he, was, he was a big cell phone user, right? <laughs> Texting. He was a great... He was a Black great... Berries. He was a great justice. But, you know, Eisenhower appointed some great justices. You know, Truman, some real stunks, But Eisenhower appointed some great ones. Warren, that's like what... That's a what, Latin term, right? Stunk. <laughs> you know, but when you think Eisenhower appointed Brennan, Warren, John Marshall Hall in the second, and pretty... Really pretty good. Potter Stude... He was pretty darn good, too. Um, but so, you know, you're going to have these technological um, searches, you know, in the New York Court of Appeals, you know, and uh, people versus, uh, you know, what am I thinking of? Wiener, Weiser, Witter. I can't think of the name of the, but, uh, you know, he said, no, it's because of all the information that can be gained by a GPS. You know, it's not right. because there's a trespass, you know, and, and actually Alito said the same thing, so. Yeah. So um, once again, the New York Code of Appeals does it the Leaves right the way. way. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, you're obviously very opinionated, but it's all back. What do you mean by, to my opinion? You have opinion. <laughs> that's, that's a good thing. I meant it as a compliment. And I'm not certain about anything. So, but you have opinions, maybe on both sides yeah, of no, every, you yeah. have opinions on both sides yeah. of every issue. But it's backed by empirical data, especially right. when you talk about voting patterns. Yeah. So what are you expecting in the upcoming term? We're going to see a lot of 5-4 divisiveness. Or are you going to see, it seemed like when I was in law school, there was a lot of like 7-2 decisions. Yeah. Now we're we going to see a lot of 5-4s. Is it going to, is it going to drop going to keep, that way? We're going to continue to see 5-4s. And, and the reason for that is because um, we've elected presidents 
who we've wanted to put on the court, um, ideologues uh, like the president we voted for. So if we voted for Obama, we wanted him to put on a liberal ideologue. We voted for Reagan, we wanted him to put on a conservative ideologue. W, a conservative ideologue. Trump, a conservative ideologue. So um, so it's our own fault. So we pretty much know where, where most of the judges are going to go. Um, does it seem like we're looking at Roberts and Kavanaugh as... Roberts, Kavanaugh, and Kagan. I think kind Roberts, of deciding Kavanaugh. these cases. Yeah. That little group and of I think three. Roberts, Kavanaugh, and Kagan uh, get along with each other because they've known each other from Harvard. You know, uh, Kagan, of course, was the dean of Harvard. Roberts went to Harvard. Uh, Kavanaugh taught at Harvard, so they know each other, and I think they re respect each other. And Kavanaugh has been voting a lot with Roberts. Kagan votes an awful lot. Uh, with Roberts. So you get two out of three of that group, that's pretty much going to uh, decide right. the case, uh, right? That's right. That's right. And then, you know, hopefully in the future, I don't have too much hope for it, but hopefully in the future, and not too distant future, you know, we won't insist that the presidents put ideologues on the court, which is what they're doing. You know, they're putting ideologues. They look to see who's got a particular record, whether it's a paper trail or whether it's a lower court voting record. They look for that, and that's who they put on the court. You know, does the record line up with what they, oh, we don't have any litmus test. No, but you have a judicial voting pattern, you know, so you know, yeah. Those kind of candidates don't seem to be able to win uh, party primaries. You know, I'm going to put on <laughs> someone smart. They're not probably not going to be uh, political. They're not going to be, on, I don't know how they're going to vote, uh, but they'll be smart. You know, if you had, if you had all the, the judges, say, on the circuit courts, and you said, okay, who were the fine, regardless of ideology, who do you think are the really finest, most thoughtful, the wisest judges in the federal judiciary? You wouldn't be coming up with these judges that the last several presidents have been putting on the court. You might have come up with Roberts and Kagan. I will, I will give, I think probably Kagan was a good one, you know, Roberts was certainly a good one. But the rest of them, I mean, they're put on there purely because they're pretty ideologically lopsided. You know, and so that's what we expect. It's our own fault. You know, one of, one of the reasons why we vote for president, at least some of us, is right. because we want them to put somebody, well, I, I'm better than most people. I don't necessarily want a liberal ideologue on the ground. Yeah. I just want, want a really, good judge. I really you just want a good judge. I really want a good judge. Yeah. One of the most important things that, yeah. that the president's going to do, and, and of all the other things that the president does, the, the, uh, appointments yeah. to the Supreme Court right. have long-lasting right. effects that last well beyond their term. Right. And yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not because I'm any more open-minded than anybody else, but uh, I'm. Well, you are. I'm, you're the best. Well, you well, are. The, you're uh, the yeah, best. Thank you. Yeah. My mother loves that. Uh, no, I think I think I'm probably. Um, I'm probably a conservative liberal, if that makes sense. Conservative liberal, you know, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. a liberal, but more. I think when you were concern. younger, you were a liberal conservative, right? <laughs> so you've really flipped. <laughs> Well, Professor Bonventure, it's been great having you here oh. on Miranda Warnings. Oh, we have a great. feature that you well know on Miranda Warnings called Music, Book, or Movie, and you've always graced us with a song, <laughs> and that's why we keep having you back, because oh. we love your melodious tones. So uh, what, what well, song do you have for us today? Well, it's my wife's birthday today, oh, and really? I should sing Happy Birthday, but I'm not going to because I hate that song. We're probably not going to release it. Yeah, not going to. But I tell you, you know the movie uh, Goodfellas? Yes. Goodfellas. And Ray Liotta's with his date, 
at the Copacabana in New York. You want to know what a spoiled brat I was growing up? I used to go on dates all the time, the Copacabana, when I was in high school. No, good for you. And when I was in college. I mean, you take the Long Island Railroad, you go into Manhattan, you know, and you go to the Copacabana. And do you know who was singing at the Copacabana? Ray, Ray Liotta. No, he wasn't singing. He was there. But who was, who was the vocalist singing? Well, I saw, I saw him several times at the Copa, Bobby Vinton. Oh, Bobby Remember Vinton. Bobby Vinton? Okay. Blue Velvet? All right. She wore blue velvet, bluer than velvet was the night. And I loved Bobby Vinton. actually saw him there I'm several nothing. times. I'm nothing. <laughs> you got your song. Vin Bonventry, great to have you here on Miranda Warnings. It's really wonderful to be here. Thank you, David. Thanks for listening to Miranda Warnings. I encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to Miranda Warnings, a NISVA podcast, available on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.